the whole fleet of them. Look on the ASA. My gosh. They're all going against the wind. It was basically a cube with inside of sphere where the points of the cube uh, were touching outside of the sphere. So this isn't anything that just is limited to the United States. It's a worldwide phenomenon. Hello again, folks, and welcome back to episode two of That UFO Podcast. A massive thank you for downloading, for streaming, for listening to this episode, and a massive thank you to everyone who listened to the first episode. I was totally amazed that so many people chose to listen to, to the first episode of this podcast. Um, i got listeners from five different continents, more than 20 countries. The feedback's been amazing. Please keep that coming. It's really going to shape the show each week uh, and allow me to make some kind of changes here and there as well, okay? Really, really appreciated. I want to get straight into the interview that we've got lined up with Sean Cahill for this episode. It follows on from last week's great chat with Gary Voorhees, who was the radar operator on board the USS Princeton. We're now going to hear about the same incident, that famous November 2004 Tic Tac UFO incident with the Princeton and the Nimitz from another perspective. And then with Sean, we're going to hear a little bit about the Unidentified TV series, what's coming up with that. A little bit on Lou Elizondo, his thoughts and feelings on working with with a character like Lou, uh, and even more about what's happened the last couple of weeks with the US government and the release of those those three videos again, but formally acknowledging that these things exist. So after a short message from our friend of the show, Tessa Maurer of Paranormal Prowlers, we'll be straight into the interview. Um, I just want to mention that I'll be on Paranormal Prowlers on the 18th of May. So please download that where I'll be discussing my own thoughts and feelings on the UFO subject, which I've not quite done yet on this show because I want to get the guests speaking before you kind of get to know me a bit more. But I'll be discussing some of my own UFO experiences as well with Tessa on the 18th. So again, please download, please stream. Here's Tessa, and then when we come back, we'll be straight into the interview with Sean. Thanks. Spooky greetings, everybody. My name is Tessa Morrow. I am a paranormal investigator, an author, and I have Paranormal Prowlers podcast. So be sure to venture on over, check it out. It's all things super scary, spooky, supernatural, paranormal, bizarre, and unknown and unexplained. And on that podcast, you will hear several different encounters and experiences and investigations and hear all about haunted locations. And also, besides myself, I have awesome guests that join me from time to time, just like Andy. So please be sure to check out Paranormal Prowlers podcast. Have a spooky day. So coming back from that message, uh, we have our second ever guest on that UFO podcast, very kindly donating his time to us this evening, uh, a man who almost needs, again, no introduction, much like last week, but we'll, we'll give him one anyway. It's uh, Sean Cahill. Uh, Sean, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing really good, Andy. How are you? I, I am not bad. I say this evening, it's the afternoon, I believe, where where you are. Yeah, it's it's a little earlier in the day. I'm in San Diego. San Diego. Very nice. 
well, I'm in the northeast of England, if you didn't know, which is uh, considerably cooler, but the, the weather's nice. Um, so, Sean, um, I, I think the timing's incredible for, for kind of starting this this podcast up, and there's a lot to talk about. And mm-hmm. it's uh, shaped a little bit what I was going to talk about with you, because my plan was following on from the chat with Gary Voorhees last week, a kind of straightforward discussion around the the whole Nimitz-Princeton encounters with the Tic Tac and kind of what's kind of happened since. But the last few weeks has been a huge spark in the, the UFO-verse um, mm-hmm. on Twitter, online, and the mainstream <clears throat> media, which is always good. So I've got a lot I want to talk about with that as well. Um, so first off, though, Sean, I, I do want to spend the kind of first part just having a chat with you around the incident that uh, happened on the the Princeton with the Nimitz back in 2004 you you were a part of that and you've got your own kind of unique story which you've told so many times but I never feel it gets any less interesting or impactful so if you don't mind just kind of covering over what happened back in November 2004 from from your perspective what was your typical day supposed to look like and then what ultimately happened that's kind of ended up changing your life so to speak absolutely um and again, thank you very much for inviting me on uh, on your podcast. It's really a pleasure to be here, and uh, it's a pleasure to follow Gary. Gary is a Gary's a really good guy. Um, I at the time that uh, at 2004, at the time of the Nimitz Tic Tac incident, I was stationed on board the USS Princeton as the chief master at arms. Um, for most people, that means the uh, the senior law enforcement official aboard. Um, I was also the only law enforcement official aboard, so. It wasn't like I had a bunch of guys uh, doing my bidding, per se. It was just me uh, running that portion. So I was also serving uh, as a collateral duty. I was serving time on the, or excuse me, I was, <laughs> I was standing watch on the bridge um, as the conning officer and junior, junior officer of the deck. Uh, the duties around that basically entail running the bridge when the, uh, when the captain's not around, making sure the ship is steered on course properly and um, is attending to whatever the mission at hand is. Um, <clears throat> so during that time, on and off during the week, I was communicating with Kevin Day uh, via telephone down in the Combat Information Center. Um, Kevin, being a senior chief, myself being a, a chief petty officer, um, we had a different level of, a different relationship uh, than most um, sailors might have. Um, chief petty officers are, are um, at the time, they were, they went through a, uh, a, excuse me, I can't, my brain's totally losing all, all right. my naval, naval terminology for the moment, um, an, an initiation process. So it's, it's a peer review process for selection, and then it's an initiation process um, to join the chief petty officer's mess. So by the time you put your anchors on, um, the level of camaraderie, fraternity, and, and esteem that you feel with your brothers and sisters um, is, is just a, above what most people are used to. So we were able to do business easier. So Kevin was able in the early stage of this, of this to call me on the bridge and ask me to steer a different course and, and do things like that. So he could calibrate his equipment or he could, so he could try to run these to ground and find out if these were real contacts and things like that. Um, not things that you might necessarily, because of the subject, because they were unidentified flying objects, I believe that he was, he tried in the beginning to try to keep it on the download per se and, um, and, and figure out what was going on. Um, can I, can but, I just ask then, please. Is, is there that stigma even in that field that 
these things are again ufos flying saucers little green men strange lights in the sky do you not want to discuss that kind of openly in that setting i would i would say that i've i had never had that conversation in, in a at any time in an official capacity whatsoever that was those conversations were for long watches where you're trying to pass the time and you were throwing out opinions and things like that and 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 that was one thing you know it was always interesting to find out what other people thought but in an official capacity the 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 subject wasn't even acknowledged whatsoever um and it was it was a it was an unspoken <clears throat> truth that you you don't talk about it that there, it, they obviously don't exist. We'd know about it. We're all, you know, we're all on active duty, et cetera. You would have heard something. And everybody's got a rumor. Everybody's got a story. I mean, now a lot of people have a lot more stories, and they're not just rumors anymore because they're out in the open for the very first time, and it's incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I have very good friends who are retired. Uh, who's a, re- a very good friend who's a retired master chief who was um, on ballistic missile submarines during the Cold War. And he very casually has told me, yeah, we saw we saw a lot of stuff. Um, there was stuff going back and forth at, at hypersonic speeds and in and out of the water, et cetera. But when the sonar tech would ask the, the chief or the chief of the boat, what do I do? Uh, they tell him log it and dog it. And, and that meant that that was a, a colloquialism for don't even write it in the in the log. What what it really means is write it down and then line it out, but no one's gonna no one's gonna go through that. Um, so, it was an unacknowledged thing that these fast movers, as they would call them, um, were all over the place. And from from stories I've been told, and from a lot of the the research other journalists and investigators have done deeper into this, it does it does seem like this was an open secret in certain circles. Okay, so. Again, what kind of contact did you see with these? So we know already you've got um, David Fravor, Commander mm-hmm. David Fravor's had a, a dog fight, for lack of a better term, uh, with one of these things at, at height, at altitude, um, and witnessed it doing some incredible things. Uh, you've then got Gary Voorhees, who's got the Spy One radar, who's mm-hmm. picked these things up. He's had to clean it, clean it, knowing that there was no glitch going to be on there. He knew it was going to come back on the screen. Again, picks these things up, and similar to yourself, the conversation kind of stops there from an official capacity for him too, that, yep, these things are what they are. What did you see with your own eyes and, and what was the kind of chat at the time? So Kevin had, had asked, actually had called me up prior to my, my visual sighting and kind of, I don't want to say pleaded with me, but he was adamant that I actually go out on the, on the, the bridge wings myself and, and look in the sky for contacts. Um, prior to that, I had been having my lookouts who were stationed on the bridge wings, um, handling that <clears throat> while I attended to other duties. And so I grabbed the, my, my binoculars. I went out on the port side bridge wing and I was looking forward along the center line of the ship at about 45 degrees. Um, well, I had been scanning the whole sky prior to it. I told the, the watches what I wanted. I was out there with them and I began scanning the sky as well. And I scanned over about 45 degrees, um, off the off the uh up off the port bow and i saw what looked like a it was a very clear sky no clouds um very crisp very clear i'm very familiar with the constellations i'm familiar with the with the sky above me i mean i've been standing that watch for for days on end and and for for years on end basically um 
And so I saw a constellation of what was five to seven stars up in the sky. Very brilliant, very um, pinpoints. And they all began to move in a clockwise fashion. And some of them started moving towards the center. They all started moving together. And they started winking out as they did that. And I'd never seen anything quite like that. There was, and there was, there was nothing in the sky to account for that. So I draw a conclusion based on what Kevin was asking me to look for that having seen something move in a fashion that I've never seen anything before or since operate like that, uh, it seems to coincide with, with what was, what Kevin was seeing on the radar scopes. So, um, when people ask me, did you see the Tic Tac? I'll never know. I'll, I'll never know exactly what I saw. It's just, I just have my eyewitness account of those lights moving in the fashion that they did. Um, no, I, sure. and I, I turned at the time to the, to the lookout that was with me and, uh, using an expletive, I said, did you see that? And he, he said, yes, chief with his mouth agape. Um, I believe I went inside and called Kevin and told him what I saw. And, um, it was pretty incredible, but the watch, just continued throughout that night. Um, it, I believe it was the next morning that I finally was interested in the subject. And at breakfast, I saw Kevin and his, uh, another, um, radar operator, chief petty officer that was with him. And, um, I said, what do you, what do you have us chasing around up there? What the heck was I looking at last night? And Kevin would just have this huge smile on his face. He's, he's got the most charming smile. If you've ever, if you've ever seen him light up and, um, he just kind of giggled and, and turned and his, uh, the other, the other chief told me to go look at my effing email. And, um, I went in the back of the chief's mess to our, our sipper net, which is the secret access, um, network. And I checked my email on there and there was this very long string of, of communication between our operations officer and, um, her running mate over on the Nimitz about these anomalous radar contacts that were popping in at very high altitudes of upwards of about 80,000 feet. And then in an instant translating down to about five feet above the water. And they were logically trying to work this out, whether it was, we were seeing problems with the radar tracks alone, uh, technical difficulties, flocks of birds, temperature inversions, uh, different temperature and, 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 weather fronts in, encountering each other. They ran through everything they could and they couldn't figure every, anything out. And then you can see a little bit of communication about them talking about sending the sorties out. And then finally there's the gun camera footage. And <clears throat> I'd seen enough gun camera footage over the years. This was 2004. Um, it was, it was post height of the, of the Gulf war following nine 11. So there, everybody, who was in the military was very familiar with this footage. I'd never seen anything like what we were, what I was looking at. Um, it looked like I was watching one of those, um, those Tesla coils in the, in the glass, um, in the glass spheres that they used to sell or that they sell where you can touch the outside and it'll dance around. I thought I was witnessing one of those at first because what I saw lo looked like electrical discharges. Um, and then they, they changed the focus or changed the the, um, the mode of the of the FLIR pod, and you're looking at something that has absolutely none of that artifact surrounding it in the visible light. Um, so or, or 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 rather in the infrared. So it was just 
the most incredible thing I'd seen. There, there, there were no control surfaces on it. There were obviously no, there was no engine exhaust. There was no proper heat plume. Uh, there was no rotor. There was no rotor wash. Uh, nothing, nothing clicked except weird. Um, yeah, and I have to ask, so on that gun camera footage, and this is something that's uh, in the last couple of weeks, and I suppose going back to December 2017 when the New York Times had that article and Two of the Stars came to prominence, now we keep seeing these videos over and over again, and my major frustration is the, the length of the videos, and I get there's so many different reasons for that. So when you're saying you've, you've saw that footage, what right. kind of length of footage did you see, and do you see anything that's different other than a moving target that you can talk about um or do you see something that's a little bit more maybe exotic than what we've been released well um what i recall seeing i actually remember the file name of it um because i i it was it was 10 november or, or no 14 november 04 c-o-n-d uh, with underscores and the reason it was named that was because it was a condensed file um we've we've since seen a longer file the one that I saw on that day was one that was sent over um, via the via the Cipernet. It was condensed out from one that was about a minute to a minute and thirteen seconds long that I saw later. Um, I never saw anything that w I would consider high definition. Um, okay. I the. I'm not I'm not making any claims as to what anyone else has said, but I personally only saw one that was roughly a minute long, and then I, I first saw the condensed version. So, and what the condensed version was was they had taken each phase change or or each change of operation that the the aircraft or had gone through, and clipped those out and, and put them into one smaller video that that they could get over to us over excuse me, our limited bandwidth during that time, because we were at sea. And a lot of people don't understand that you, you wait 45 minutes to download a 125 kilobyte, uh, you know, word file sometimes um, yeah. ba based on the bandwidth that you have out at sea. So later on, I, I, I did see one that was longer, but I never saw one that was high definition. Okay. And I think that's not to take away from how impressive that the, any of the footage that's been released is. And I think more so when, as we'll come to discuss, the background and the the types of bodies that are now authenticating the footage. But it's just there's that desire to just to see that little bit more. My frustration with any piece of footage of a UAP, a UFO, lights in the sky, USOs, is I appreciate you're never really going to see the footage of something arriving because the whole idea is someone has seen something and brings out a camera. Sure. But I, I always want to see it leave. Because for me, that's where there might be some real wow, you know, that this thing's gone off at an incredible speed. Or yeah. I think that's where some bits on YouTube show themselves up to be fake, more than likely, because yeah. you kind of it's hard to replicate that. And there's there's just something to, as you say, when you saw those lights in the sky that night or that day, that, that there's something to it that you you can just tell it's real. There's like a feeling, and I think that's what you you're just wanting to see that last piece. Yeah, what I saw on the on the gun camera footage was exotic and to me, and it fit no no paradigm I understood about anything that should be flying. I trust the pilots that they that they understand uh, the things in the 3D space that they're that they're they're maneuvering in. Um, it's just it's really incredible that the the, the uh, situational awareness that they have. 
you know, the level of adrenaline and everything else. And their level of focus is almost Zen-like. It has to be. Because at any given time, if any of those pieces of the equation aren't, aren't being looked at, the whole thing falls apart. And, and this, this near supersonic aircraft is, is in the sea, you know. Um, yeah. And I think before we started uh, recording, this is something we, we talked about, about the public and particularly why here in the UK, there isn't an appetite for this footage or this news or, or the subject in general. There's still like a, a very much a niche subject here in the UK. And when you talk about that kind of footage, it's, it's incredible enough on its own. But the people like David Fravor, like yourself, like Gary Voorhees, like Kevin Day and countless others who are now coming out, that's what you really have to look at and say, these are some of the most highly skilled people on the planet at what they do. And if someone's telling you that alongside there, however many tens of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars fighter jet was a cube with a sphere inside of it, then these people saw that. That's that's not you know a mistake. And it's something I won't really touch on because I think he's getting a lot of press just now. But someone like Mick West, who is constantly trying to pass these things off as seagulls or reflections, or someone misidentifying something that these are the most highly skilled of the highly skilled, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's a very interesting cognitive dissonance that seems to be a part of this almost as if everyone's subconscious either knows better that they don't want to deal with this at all. And they're willing to push it away at any chance or they embrace it. Um, It's hard to find a lot of people who maintain an absolute objectivity in this. Um, I find myself having a hard time myself because the more evidence I see, the more I'm convinced there's absolutely something strange afoot. Um, I try really hard not to speculate at all about the origin of it. I'm willing to, if that's, you know, what we're discussing at the time. But when I'm, when I'm forming my worldview, it's not a piece that has to go into it yet. Um, Because I realize that it's just how hard it is right now to even have the conversation that this is exotic, that this is beyond what we're used to. And folks like Mick, who, who I personally used to, since we brought him up, used to hold in great esteem for his, um, what seemed to me, logical nature. Um, and I won't, I won't say skeptical, because these days, for me, skeptical kind of carries a negative uh, connotation to it. Um, it seems like we have a lot of professional skeptics who are, who are really just contrarians in disguise. Um, unfortunately, it's hard to tell right now who is being contrarian to make a buck, who truly believes that all of these subject matter experts, highly trained individuals and, and trained observers, um, that, that they're, all, they're all mistaken um, I, I don't believe so. You know, I've got my own anecdotal evidence. I've got my own validation about certain things. And obviously I've had conversations with folks that, that not everyone is privy to at this point, but the idea that we would perseverate on, on these frankly opinions, but I'll, I'll, I'll grant them the name of hypothesis. But if, if we're going to perseverate on these different hypotheses, that's not research. If that's your hypothesis, write it down, set your argument aside. But how about you come over here and with the rest of us and let's try to figure out what it actually is. Because the proof for all of the things that Mick represents don't, don't pass muster either. You know, 
Yeah, and I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Jason Gleaves, if you've heard the name. No. Uh, he's based in the UK, and he's someone who only in the last couple of years has he's released a couple of books. And the reason I'm really, I like Jason Gleaves' approach is he used to do um, analysis and photography. Mm-hmm. And his first book is released on UFO, basically unidentified craft. And he basically goes through famous pictures and not so famous pictures and breaks down why they are unidentified or why they are a flock of geese, why they oh, are nice. um, a, a flight. And it's so objective. There's not one I mention of this could be aliens or this could be mm-hmm. this. It literally leaves every piece at it's unidentified, which is amazing enough in itself. And it, it tells you why. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, or he breaks it down to this is more than likely this this is more than likely this and that's what i like because whether these things are and uh, you know if you really want to go out there but it's zeta reticulant aliens from some faraway galaxy or solar system whether these things are from this planet and they're hidden like you know kind of black mm-hmm. panther that's tom DeLong's touched on ultra terrestrials and the concept not not that recently and i'll ask you about that later on to be honest sure. which is which is interesting um there's a lot to this and even breaking it down to whether this is US, Russian, Chinese, you know, Scottish, mm-hmm. and some government has this technology that has now, as Louise Elizondo and Chris Mellon have just came out and said on Glenn Beck, you know, it's not generational leaps, this is leaps beyond leaps beyond leaps. It's right. fascinating regardless what it is. But as you say, there's then the other side of things where it needs to be something, it needs to be an absolute. And watching some of, some of your recent interviews, I think you've, you've said yourself, the phenomena isn't necessarily one thing. And that's something that over the last couple of years I've kind of came to, to basically decide on that, do you know what, this isn't just a race coming from a planet potentially to this to this planet and visiting us for a reason. There's a lot to this. There's as Tom DeLong, who I, I put a lot of eggs in his basket, to be honest, at some of the things he knows and what he says, as fantastic as some of it is. Mm-hmm. Um, again, he's been privy to those kind of conversations that I would just love to hear like a 100th of. Uh, there's something to this but there's a lot to this as well and that's that's what I kind of drip feeding this in um, can I just take you forward on that so you you have this incident is it right to say that from then 13 years passed before you really get involved in the subject again or is there anything in the meantime that, that keeps you kind of in that loop but maybe quietly up until that point I had been um I think what we would all classify as kind of a casual believer. Um, I thought that it was, in in general, the, the subject that there's something more to this existence and that there was something more to what people were seeing uh, when they described UFOs and other certain paranormal phenomena. My my opinion was that it was it was entertaining. It was probably real. I'd seen some neat stuff in my life, you know, some pretty pretty weird stuff on a few occasions. But I was a rational person who was able to always find a rational argument to explain it away. You know, still was interested in telling the stories here and there. But in two thousand after the Tic Tac, you know, we're just referring to it casually that way. Um, I became a complete disbeliever. Um, I actually went from being someone who, though I'd turned my back on the the Catholic faith that my family had pretty early on in my teen years, I was still a very spiritual person. And I know that's that a lot of people kind of get turned off when folks when folks make those distinctions. But I but to me, spirit has a lot of meaning in in the idea the meaning of the word you know spirit breath, you know et, et cetera. Um, 
that I believe that there's something more to us than just flesh and blood and, and, mm-hmm. and that we were meat, meat machines. Um, yeah. So, so after that though, the way that the chain of command on board the ship, um, the way that the, the captain reacted to it, the way that we briefed it at the intelligence briefing, the way that some of my, um, my colleagues treated the subject later on, it led me to believe that this was a problem that was already taken care of. There was no sense of urgency. So, so that feeling coming to me made me believe at first that this was probably a black program or something like that. Um, we had a very senior captain. The, the weapons platform that we were on is an Aegis missile cruiser that carries uh, Tomahawk land attack missiles, etc. And we had a full bird captain and a senior one at that who'd been, been around the block. Um, and so their, his reaction and the way it trickled down to me, who I thought at the time that I, I pretty much saw most things going on on board the ship, um, but obviously not at this level, they just blew it off. Uh, they made light of it at the, at the briefing, and, and we never spoke of it again. So I just assumed based on that that it was us, and I, I, that hardened me. Um, I, put, I put my spiritual growth in the ground after that i it was i was i became if not at at times uh agnostic sometimes even um that that angry atheist we've all bumped into who wants to Mm. explain to everyone their logic i'd I'd been that guy before too um i actually had to go back I, i realized that i had posted on above top secret after that being very critical of um of certain people who were uh, researching things like orbs or, um, or different lights that at the time I was completely convinced as a, as a forensic investigator that these were all affectations of digital photo technology, etc. You know, I was, I was so entrenched in my, my, my logical scien- scientific beliefs um, that I wouldn't let go to, that I refused to look at the, at the phenomenon at all up until... Up until shortly before, I, ne- I didn't really start considering, um, for lack of a better word, the paranormal to include uh, UAPs again until Lou came along. Um, and I actually, we got the mics off and I literally kind of pulled him aside and kind of was like, is this crap for real? Like, is this, you know, like I needed to look him in the eye and ask him that question and i it was pretty apparent to me and it has been since since we've become good friends that this is obviously a very real phenomenon um but i was convinced i was convinced that it was not i it it hardened me um and so i i was luckily open-minded when i met lou because i had started uh, meditating and teaching meditation a couple of years before so I'd come a long way on my own in, inner journey, and I'd experienced some really interesting things in that aspect as well um, that then tied in later on with what I've learned in the last couple of years. Okay, so awesome. Uh, you, you say that you then Lou comes into your life. So fast forward to, to Unidentified, um, a series that, that's one of those things I think for a lot of people a couple of years ago before 2017 you would have never thought something like that would have been out on the on the mainstream tv and for all we've got things like ancient aliens which are an entertaining watch uh it's got a far more realistic and serious base to it 
um, which which was fantastic. I thought the whole presentation of the show was incredible. Um, obviously, yourself getting involved in it and some of the people that came out and spoke were, were fantastic and really lent a lot of credence to what was being talked about on the show. And Luis Elizondo, I could listen to talk for days on end. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's someone Absolutely. who, if I had, you know, your famous table where you can invite three guests from all time to sit down and have a chat with you. The last year, Luis Elizondo has earned a place at my my table. So um, yeah, so unidentified. Can you tell me a little bit about the experience on the show? Kind of how you became to get involved, um, how you felt on the show, how it kind of developed, and uh, we'll go from there. Well, on um, the day that the New York Times article came out, a good friend of mine. Um, who was a master chief in the Navy, actually sent me a link to the article in a text. Uh, I was out on my deck meditating uh, when my phone went off, and he said, hey, uh, the New York Times is talking about that story you told us all about when you came back from your workups in the 04. And so I clicked on it, and I was blown away, first of all. It took me, a, it took me about 40 minutes to read the whole article because I kept having to stop and kind of look around and uh, pace back and forth, and I went in and talked to my wife, and I was I was very giddy, um, but I was like, "Holy crap! This is they're they're talking about 04. They're talking about that thing we saw." Um, and so once I came down from that that amazing feeling of of, of in all of those years, this has finally come back, and this is real. Um, and I don't have to wonder anymore. I don't have to wonder if, if my memories were right because I really didn't believe that kind of thing. And, and then to find out that the government took it very seriously um, and all of the things that we've learned since, all of the things that we've been able to infer since um, kind of came, a lot of it came cascading down. And so did you feel like totally vindicated at that point that even through that kind of angry journey and kind of rejecting certain things and your ideologies changing that due to what yeah I was right and what I saw and it did happen and did that just flick a switch for you? Well, yeah, it really started a process for me of opening my heart back up. Um, that's really the only way to put it because I had I had I had closed myself off to to so much um to so much that 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 carried uh, I don't want to say carried emotional stigma I wasn't really afraid of emotion or, or that carried emotional pieces to it uh, I don't want to want to say that I was afraid of emotionality but I'd cut out anything that I couldn't be sure of I really was trying to manage my expectations and so things like the paranormal you can't have expectations with it so I'd cut spirituality paranormality out of my life completely so it, it really did, uh, it opened me back up. It started a process for me that, that's, um, that's still ongoing, but to become more open-minded and more open to other people and other ideas. Okay, so on the show itself, you're, you're there with Lou and you get more involved and um, you, mm. you go and visit some kind of key locations and you end up out in the water. And there are, I think Lou Elizondo, I've said before, if he had a slogan, it would be, you know, follow the data, look at the data. And he's absolutely he's, he's he just he just loves that. And he's, he's trying to tell you something with that he can't tell you, but he really wants to. Um, <laughs> as if he's saying there's a lot there that you could be looking at. And I love that with him. It's just it's so annoying, but yeah. it's his thing. Um, there seemed to be so much of the show focused around water out at water cert- certain points. And is that something that's very deliberate that, that you knew at the time? Well, I do know that in the case of the Tic Tac incident, obviously it was specific to the, the locale. 
but yeah, in in general, there there does seem to be a lot of contact uh, that occurs in and around uh, bodies of water. Um, there's a lot of reasons for that. The simplest reason, when we're dealing with, or I, I won't say there are that I know the reasons, um, mm-hmm. but what I mean by that is the the simplest reason is that the water or the Earth is two thirds plus covered with water, and the great majority of that humans aren't present. We're just not, we only sail in very specific shipping lanes. Even our, our military ships have no reason to go in just insanely large swaths of the Pacific Ocean um, and, and, and the Atlantic as well and other portions of, of the world. So it, when you couple that with the fact that our aircraft fly in relatively similar patterns, with the exception of active satellite data, there are very large portions of our planet that we're just we're just not there. We're just not watching them. We're just not monitoring them. Um, so it would make sense that if something were moving around within our atmosphere and, and um, on Earth, for, for lack of a better term, that fits the profile of these things, that they would operate within those pockets that we are those huge pockets where we're not operating. This hasn't to take a massive leap from from what I'm hoping is a very grounded conversation we're having, despite the subject. But would you put a number or a percentage on the chances of of these things having some kind of residency or base underwater, or you know, you don't want to say underground bases because well, God, that's that sounds a bit out there. But you know, I draw my data from all over the place. Um, we can't be sure as to all of the data that's out there as to what's 100% accurate and what's not. But I've also had the chance to, to vet some of it from people who are at least second or third generation away from the originators. But the U.S. government did a lot in um, the area of remote viewing up at the Stanford Research Institute and then um, at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. And those programs, some of it, some of the early successes in those programs have been declassified and if you if you take the data that they what we would all call regular normal objective data that they were able to identify was accurate from these remote viewing programs the intelligence gathering tools that they use the ability to find some downed aircraft um, to zero in on lost munitions or kidnap victims and the successes that they had with that. If we're going to take that at face value, we have to take some of the more fantastic data at face value. And some of that data, while it was done in a unofficial capacity, was done by the same talented individuals that were having the official successes. So when we talk about a presence, it seems obvious to me it, once, if it were announced suddenly by competent authority that there was a presence here, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, our history speaks of something greater than us that keeps dipping in and out of our destiny over and over again. And I think again. that's something like a Bob Bigelow could, no matter what you think of him and his background, and, and someone who has put a lot of his own cash in the subject as well, as, as secretive as a lot of yeah. that work can yeah, as secretive as a lot of that work can be. He he has said himself, again on mainstream interviews, the famous clip is out there of where he interrupts the, the reporter to say, yes, there are alien civilizations on this earth under our nose. And as, to quote him, he doesn't give a damn that people think that about him. And 
So you're mm-hmm. you're very much along those lines as well. That that it's more than possible. Well, I, I I hesitate to say this based on people taking quotes out of context, but I, I'm not I'm mm-hmm. not worried about using the word alien because um, if you've never seen a chimpanzee before, if someone presented one to you, it would seem alien to you when in fact it's your cousin. Mm-hmm. So that said. It would not surprise me if, if a great deal of the things that we're interacting with are, are of, of a kindred genome. Uh, it just makes, it always makes sense to me that we start here with what we're interacting with. Um, but again, looking out into a vast universe, it's completely within the realm of possibility that being at the bottom of this gravity well, that what we are encountering is something with an advanced technology from another locale in this universe. And at the same time, we do have to entertain things like uh, Tom DeLonge's idea of ultra-terrestrials, which also fits in with our folklore. It fits completely in with our folklore Mm -hmm. and with the experiences that that, uh, I personally think most of us have had. I think most of us have had some kind of paranormal experience in our life. And in fact, I think that if we sit down and examine it objectively and just say, Maybe I'll write down everything weird that's ever happened to me. Um, everything that I couldn't completely explain. We might have logical explanations for it. I have, lo- I have the logical explanations that I have applied to almost everything weird that I've encountered. And I've encountered a slew. But I think that's because we have to see these things on kind of a spectrum. We have to see them from a spectrum of everything is completely opposite of what we've been taught or indoctrinated in. I don't like using that word, but that's we this sh- we have a shared reality that's based on the societal interactions we have. You and I speak the same language, regardless of any jokes anyone might want to make about our differing accents. We're able to communicate effectively with each other. You know, we have very similar cultures with very few main differences. You know, and we're on other sides of the world, so. Uh, we are indoctrinated in our beliefs to a great extent. And at this point, we as a culture, whether via um, massaging by some other greater entity or, or influence, have decided that these things don't exist anymore. When, for most of our history, these things were a part of it. Um, you mentioned shows like Ancient Aliens. And it's, we're... we're we have to move the conversation away from where we're willing to make it uh, giggle-worthy. Because th- th- a show like that is a wealth of, of, of true information that is unfortunately has the same trope thrown at it every time. You know, could this tooth is where's this toothbrush from? Well, it must be aliens. You know, I, I get I don't mean to make fun of them, but it, everything isn't aliens, man. You know, <laughs> we have to get away from that, that idea. And there's a general large picture to this that I think we're going to find isn't one thing. It's not just flying saucers. And for the people over in this niche, it's not just ghosts. And for the people over here, it's not just this strange thing that you can't explain. I think the big question that we have to focus on in the beginning is what ties all of these things together? Well, obviously we have to acknowledge that these things are actually occurring. Yeah. Um, And, and set some kind of baseline. Well, 
if these are occurring, who gets the microphone? Who gets to tell their story? Because unfortunately, it's, it's, it's also been a subject that attracts storytellers, whether they're telling the truth or not. We, we, and everybody can't be accurate. <laughs> so somebody in the mix is lying somewhere. I don't want to call anybody out, but somebody is not representing either that or there's just so many different, different visitors. And you know what I mean? And, and yeah. And it's interesting. Your turn of phrase there was uh, who's holding the microphone at the moment uh, and someone who, who does have a bit of a microphone and is relatively new to the party, so to speak, uh, in the public eye is Brandon Fugel, um, mm. who is the proprietor of Skinwalker Ranch. Mm-hmm. Um, personally, uh, I've I've watched half the, the shows in the UK because it, it came on later here, but I was watching it over other means, let's just say, um, just due to my interest. And when I compare that to the unidentified, unidentified is such a, a grounded tone to it, where it was serious and guys like yourself, Lou Elizondo, even Tom DeLong, as fantastic as his background is and eccentric as he can be, he's, he's a really clever, intelligent guy. Yeah. I get I get the feeling with Skinwalker Ranch, it was almost the, the Kardashians version of it, they're almost playing characters at times and I don't know if, if you've seen the series but there's a tone to it where I really, I, I love the subject so much but it's almost like that's not the first time you've said that line. Like they've almost told them, stop, say that again, but can you look at him when you say it? And I love the subject, but that's someone who's holding a very pertinent microphone just now. Uh, yeah, I haven't, I haven't watched it. Um, I, I'm very familiar with the subject. I did, I've done a great deal of research up until when the ranch changed hands. Um, I'm familiar with uh, the other documentaries that have been done on it. Um, especially the the uh, the incredible work by George Knapp uh, that Jeremy Corbell uh, produced. Yep. Um, but I've also had conversations that aren't that that I so I, I kind of guard the subject of Skinwalker Ranch only because before the TV show came out, I had been involved and um, asking a lot of questions, and so my data on it is a little bit. Um, I don't, I don't want to infringe on anything the show's trying to do, but I will say this. If, if, if you're saying that there, um, that it appears, I don't, I don't mean scripted, but if you mean that like it it looks a little wooden in the delivery sometimes, Mm -hmm. I can say this, it's really hard to be on camera. It's really hard to be genuine on camera. And, um, I, we we worked our butts off during the time that I was uh, involved with Unidentified. Um, the the showrunner Anthony LePay, the producer uh, Jessica and, and Lou and everybody worked so hard to maintain authenticity. So anytime it seemed like we were acting or that we were wooden, and when I say it seemed like we were acting, there's a really fine line in in between let's go tell this story for the hundredth time and make it seem authentic and being authentic. Um, because maybe the authenticity of the moment is I don't want to tell this story again. So there, there is, and for some people, there's a fear that comes out there. As soon as the camera comes on, there's an awareness and a, and a lockup and it, it can, it can be very wooden. It can, it can, it can feel really personal. So I don't, I don't begrudge those folks having to go from doing, really adrenaline laden work 
um, and then to turn around and be and knowing that there's going to be a, a a lot of ridicule that comes with it, mm-hmm. and then kind of locking up and having to ne- have someone possibly tell them off camera. All right, talk about talk about what you saw. You know, express yourself because it's it's tough. It's there's a it's a form of therapy, especially in in this realm. When you get experiencers and investigators who have experienced things in front of the camera, there's a form of therapy going on. You're telling the most fantastic tales to people, and and you're just you're just begging they don't laugh at you, you yeah. know. So, um, what's going on out there at the ranch is incredible, and what's ha- what what seems to have been going on out there at the ranch for generations, for lack of a better word, is incredible. And I think that Skinwalker Ranch as a subject and what Brandon Fugel and his team have been doing out there, because I I have been following the news, although I haven't watched the show yet, um, is is really important because they're incredibly brave. They're they're really pioneers in saying, look, this is real. Brandon's willing to obviously invest literally in it, but all of these people have invested their lives and and their reputations in it. and they're trying to help the rest of us understand what the you know the greater phenomenon at hand. So I think it's real. Their their story is really important. So um, I think that it, it it's telling as to where we need to go with this. I think we need to look back in our traditions. I think we need to talk to our elders. I think we need to to talk to our indigenous people who who have not allowed their tra- their traditions to be. Um, to be destroyed by the influence of Western culture and, and also our indigenous people that have um, been able to maintain their traditions, even in the, in the face of the onslaught of Western culture, you know, that actively were able to archive them or hide them. Um, I think yeah. we need to turn to those folks and to, and to include our Aboriginal cultures throughout Europe and Asia, Africa, Australia, all of them. We need to turn to all of our cultures and, and say, Hey, how long has this actually been around? What are we dealing with here? You know, um, it's, it's not a subject that's going to be solved by any one entity or government. Um, a lot of people focus on the fact that this seems a very um, American centered. Um, I'll, I'll rem- I remind folks a lot of times that that's, you know, you know, Roswell occurred in the United States as well as many other major events and the size of our military lends to, to uh, a lot of times the world looking to the, the U.S. for answers in this realm. But any government in the world at any time could, could put a capital D on disclosure and say, this is what we have encountered, this is what we believe, etc. And no one has yet. Granted, we're, we're expecting in the next couple of days some pretty interesting videos from Argentina. Um, Italy has shared, shared a lot with Lou on the show, and I, um, I know that there's r- other really interesting... Um, things to come for season two but any government could disclose what's going on uh it it can't possibly just be the united states of america that has the 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 splash line title for tomorrow's newspaper on this yeah and i think that's always a thing in the movie i love independence day but everything happens around the u.s and and the white house and new york and it's always those kind of areas isn't it and then i don't know if you've ever saw a film like district nine 
Yes. Where it's the whole premise is, do you know what happened down South Africa over the slums? And it's just, ah, right. it's a fresh premise. And like you say, everywhere's got their own story with this. And it, do you know what you touch on season two, just before I move on? Um, season two is apparently coming soon. Uh, here in the UK, it's kind of hard to find information on. But am I right in saying Unidentified should be coming late May? And is that something you've got any involvement in in series two? Um. I don't I don't have eyes on anything down the road when it when it's going to happen. Um, we, at least from my perspective, we play we fulfill our part and then we wait to see um, the final product. I've been involved in a couple of aspects of it, but I'm not sure how much uh, that's gonna that's gonna focus because this subject really evolves with the moment, yeah, yeah. and and that's something I, I think a lot of folks don't understand, and I had to come to grips with with early. Was that this is based on that this is based on reality. This is not a show about something that happened before. This isn't reality TV. This is a show about the reality that we're all living in the now, right now. And so the news cycle, how people react to this, um, uh, announcements from the Pentagon, resistance from uh, certain areas, all of these things play into what's going to, what's going to be featured and what's more important. It's unfortunate, but we can't do a a twenty five part uh season you know um that's not how television works unfortunately and i think we all know that those those stories and that information is is guarded until it's able to be um disseminated via you know via television that's it's 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 a um it's a good it's a it, you know it's goods and services it's how things work i know yeah. that, that we're dealing with a gray area here that people consider to be truth but um, but it, it's uh, I, I think that the next few years are going to be incredible. I think that the the amount of <clears throat> participation from foreign entities, from from individuals who are coming forward who have a, a great deal of gravitas and, and really really heavy influence who are who are willing to talk about this is really going to shift the subject. Do you know what? That that was going to be my final question. Okay, but you're still a little bit away, so I hope you've got got enough time. Um, where are we in five years on this subject? Because when that article broke at December 17th, or December 17th, December 20th, mm-hmm. 2017, yes. uh, here we are two and a half years down the line and so much has changed, but there's maybe a frustration that not enough has changed. And that's a, obviously an individual thing or maybe not changed at the pace we wanted it to. Um, where, where are we in five years time in your opinion? I think that we're going to be in a place down the road that, that we won't recognize in, in regards to the subject. I really do think that it's on the verge of cracking open. Um, what we've seen just in the last few weeks with the coverage in the mainstream media, um, the, I'm seeing less jokes every time it comes up. You know, people still have to pad it for their, for their, for their safety. They still have to throw that joke out there. Um, we, that's just, that's a thing that we do normally as humans, you know, that the, the idea of, Hey, get a load of this is, is really us saying, do you approve of this behavior? Because I'm willing to laugh at it if you are, but if not, you know, <laughs> we're just checking, you know, we're checking other people for, for how they feel. Um, it, we've, <clears throat> a, just a year ago. I couldn't have this conversation at all with close friends, family, or loved ones. Um, it, it wouldn't have been taken seriously, even in and around the time that I was on when I returned from 
from Mexico from filming. It wasn't taken seriously. Showing people pictures, um, talking to them, telling them what I'd learned from Lou. It was still in one ear and out the other. It was it was as it, it was put up there with ancient aliens. Kind of, it was like, oh well, that's not real though. You don't really. At the end, it would always be, do you really? But do you guys believe that? And I would always say, there, well, there's no that to believe. That's that's yeah. what that's what occurred, you know. Um, and and then they jump to the aliens part because they they have to invalidate it because it, it opens too many cans of worms for a lot of people. Um, I think we're cracking through that. I think that that as more and more people are turning to each other and going, do you think that's real? And the other people are turning back and going, yeah, man, I've been watching this for a couple of months. You should see this thing. Have you watched this show? It takes time for these things to get into the zeitgeist. Um, nobody deals good with having the wool or the, the carpet pulled out from under them on, on their beliefs all in one go. And, and this doesn't even touch upon personal beliefs and religion and, and what, it, you know, if this is, if this is beings that have, say, uh, of, who cares who they're related to, first of all, at the moment. But if these beings have more control over the environment than we do, whether it's through advanced technology or levels of consciousness that we don't fully understand yet, um, that's scary stuff. And, and none of us so far can provide direct evidence as to whether these are the good guys or the bad guys. And if, mm -hmm. if, if, if evidence that we've, that we've seen so far, you know, nature's red in tooth and claw. Everyone has an agenda. You, you, you know, there is no one that has a level of control that doesn't have an agenda that goes along with that or, or a set of, of, of beliefs. And we don't know anything about the phenomena's objectives, intents, moral beliefs. And the only people that we, that we can get that information from are people that have very fantastic tales about how they obtained that information. There is no open communication between all of the rest of us and the people that are So would claiming. you say... Go ahead. Yeah, you, you, so you don't think, and it's that easy thing, that there is a... Let's just hone in on the U.S. government because it's it's the main one, I suppose, in, in this sense that there's a small part of the U.S. government that even the president doesn't get access to. You know, that's probably a good thing um, that the a couple of people sit around a table like an MJ12 type group and they know. Do you think even at that very highest level, there's still so much uncertainty in, in the subject? The indications I've seen is that there is no con that whatever conference room and conference table that may or may not have once existed to govern this subject has gathered dust and isn't no one's meeting anymore. Um, this seems like almost like an artifact that not, not necessarily an artifact that was stumbled upon, but this seems like a bus that didn't have a driver, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that, I think there's some people who wish that the bus still had no driver or, or, or that they were driving and, and they're resisting this, but, um, it's really hard to tell, but the, the indications to me are there, there, there doesn't seem to be anyone that that's, that's actively in charge of this, that I, that I can, that I can pull out of all of this and, uh, or, or that there, there doesn't seem to be one person to go to for answers. The history of it speaks that at the executive level in our government, that the briefings aren't always there or may have stopped at some point in the recent past. Um, 
the reasons behind that, I, I don't know. I haven't. I'm I'm piggybacking on the shoulders of giants and, and their research. But um, but one thing that I do know is that this this is going to take time to to get into people's heads and, and to be safe for them. And I think that we're going to have to be patient. I think that unfortunately what a lot of people who are directly involved in this, uh, people who consider themselves ufologists or um, even hardcore involved fans and things like that, um, we get addicted to the we get addicted to the information. Um, every time something new happens, that dopamine hits, and, and we're just we're we're really ready for something that we can sink our teeth into. And I I think that's coming because I think that along that for that to happen, a lot of us have to change the way that we think because unfortunately we're not ready to have open minds and and see this for what it is. We're only ready to see it. Even a lot of the open mind, seemingly open-minded people in the community, they know what this is. They're sure who it is, where it's from. And as I'm fond of saying, we can't all be right. If we if we are, I'll shut up. I mean, but but man, it's like Star Wars out there, you know. Yeah, and you know that's true. We can't all be right, but everyone can be wrong, which is uh, where there's a, <laughs> yeah, I suppose a yes, danger. That's that's true. Yeah, just just like we only need one. We only need one of these things to be real, uh, you know, for the yeah. phenomenon to be real. Yeah, we can all be wrong at the same time. Yeah. yeah. Um, and there's a lot of really good theories out there. But as you say, even the, the people who I would throw my weight behind and really follow just now, like um, I take it you follow Deep Prasad on Twitter, who is someone who's kind of exploded on the scene. And he's a young guy and seems like he's got his fingers in so many different pies out there as well. But even he's got some really crazy theories and ideas, but he says that himself, that, do you know what, this, this is just what I think, but do you know what, there's a logic behind what he says and a reasoning, and he's not pushing it on people that this is this is what it is. He's not selling a book with the title, you know, these I've aliens had, came and stole my car. I've had the pleasure of having uh, Deep at my house, and, and we've had dinner a couple of times together here in San Diego. Uh, we filmed a documentary together last year um, that I don't have any information on it right now, but we're, we're still under NDA on it. So that's all I can say is that we've okay. it. Um, but Deep is a very, very insightful young man, a uh, very intelligent young man. I had a really good time. I don't mean to young man him like that. I'm just, I'm an old guy. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I, f- I feel young. I'm 34, but, you know, I'm, I'm calling him a young guy. But I think not- I was one of the first to properly follow him on Twitter as well. I was quite, oh. I was early on the bandwagon. Um, oh, congratulations. When I first saw Yeah, yeah. I'm going to be one of those guys there going, do you know what? I was one of the first to follow him. I sent him a direct message when he used to get those and he didn't reply, but you know, I'm, I'm sure he saw it. Uh, he's a busy guy. I have a really hard time keeping up with my DMs. Um, I have, I've opened conversations with a lot of people and it's at a point now where I'll pop in there with 75 of them in my box and triage is, is ugly sometimes. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't blame you either. Like, um, can I just ask something? So you mentioned before about uh, things gathering pace and, you know, the, the subject may be on the verge of cracking in a really positive way. Something you've thrown your weight behind. It's it's online the last couple of days. Tell us a little bit about the Unidentified uh, Outreach Letter Writing Program. And that's something I've just learned as well. It actually extends to other countries and not just the US. So uh, tell us a little bit about that. So the Unidentified.net has, a, <clears throat> as you said, the outreach program program that this portion of it is being led by a gentleman named Terrace Matla. 
He's a uh, museum curator or director from the East Coast to the U.S. I can't remember which museum or which university he's with at the moment. But um, he wrote an incredible letter that people can use as a template um, and can be uh, changed a little bit, you know, depending upon what country or what your, uh, what your parliament or what your Congress might look like. But um, <clears throat> what this does, I think what this does is really gives our lawmakers an understanding of how seriously their constituents take this subject. But I also think that something that it's going to do is it's going to give them a confidence to start asking these questions in public and asking these questions with louder voices. And because it's going to tell them that their constituents are behind them and that regardless of some of the people that might be in the gallery where they are or some of their colleagues, whether they may not take it seriously or may, whether they may have vested interests that are contrary to everyone understanding what's going on, um, we recognize that this is a real phenomenon now. Um, Tom DeLong and TTSA and, and the hard work of the folks, a lot of other folks, ha have made it obvious that this is this is real. Whatever this is is real. It's been being studied for seventy years. Um, at least by the United States government, obviously also by other um, foreign governments and militaries. And it's time for us to have this conversation. It's time for us to finally say, what is this? And there, there are so many aspects to it, but I think that if we can get the voices that we have in our, in our capitals and in, our, and in our, our lawmaking services to understand that this is serious, we don't have time to laugh about it anymore, and to give them the confidence to stand up and speak, then they're going to be able to represent us in the way that we need them to. Awesome. And that's something I'll, I'll put the link on as well on the, the bio for everyone to get involved in, because like you've said, and like people like Elizondo have said, it's really pushing the conversation forward. And you can see that that conversation is happening. I've got a few <laughs> more questions and then I want to kind of finish off with a bit of a quick fire um, kind of word association with you, if you don't mind. You bet. For you, Sean, what's the most underplayed or under discussed part of the whole phenomena for you? Is there any one thing? For me, it's it's the um, <clears throat> it's the solid history, um, the the fact that we don't have to keep going back to baseline every time we um, there's a new uh, news clip about this or something else. Um, it, the the foundation behind this is very solid, and I think that if that we need to stop trying to to win arguments in regards to this. We need to approach it with confidence and 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 say that the foundation is there. Awesome. Okay, Sean, I had a couple of questions sent in for you uh, from uh, listener based in Wales as well. Um, the Zignal, uh, very active mm. on UF. He's, he's a good friend online. Uh, um, so, awesome. Yeah, yeah, really nice. It sent me over some cracking links recently as well. Um, going to be a hard question. First question. <laughs> yeah. So, the, do you know what? The first one I thought, I, that seems a bit of a silly question. And then I read it a few times and I was like, actually, no, I, I want to know the answer to this. Mm. Um, so, what goes into designating an object unidentified? Oh. Well, I think that the, the first thing we have to ask ourselves is who's the one that's putting that moniker on it? Um, but from my standpoint, if I were, if I were, if someone had, if someone sent me um, evidence that they wanted me to look at, and I deemed it worth my time and began looking at it, uh, <clears throat> what what determines that something is unidentified is is very simple. I know that I'm I'm building up to it, but if you cannot determine with assurance what the object is, the object is unidentified. 
Um, and it literally means that we don't know what it is. Uh, there's okay. the, the, so the process that goes into it is as simple as looking at it, is using your, your visual system, you know, your own visual system first, and then, and then going from there in, in a dig, digging deeper and deeper. But at some point, um, a blurry picture of a light at night provides no evidentiary value. Um, we need context. We need background. We need a lot of other information. So identifying something is a, is a matter of context, sometimes in the moment, and then it's a matter of context of the evidence. So it's kind of open-ended. You've answered that. You've answered that question better than most politicians have answered questions in the UK that are on the news daily just now. So, so well done. Um, and he also asked a question. So, um, looking for how you personally find some solace in, in troubling times is how he worded it. Hmm. Um, well, number one, I meditate. I meditate, um, and for a lot of people, that's still kind of a foreign word. <clears throat> but what meditation really is is providing yourself the time to sit down and to focus on something um, that in most case lacks a great deal of meaning. So you can let your brain shut off for a little while and, <clears throat> and remove the accumulation of a lifetime, I think is the best way to put it that, that fits for, for anyone of any faith. Um, you don't need to be any specific religion. You don't need to have any special training to, to sit down and try to remain alert while not necessarily thinking or, or grasping the thoughts that are constantly going through our minds. And for me, when we do that, we find that there's an underlayer to us um, that, that is already at peace. And so then when things are challenging, we can look at those challenges as the adventure that we're on and less as the personal attack that life can often feel like. Awesome. So that moves us nicely into the kind of word association. I've done this with Gary on the last episode. It was really good. So it can be a couple of words. First thing that comes <clears> to <throat> your mind or a few sentences or if you want to go in a bit more, you can. But I'll change it about a little bit because like you've touched on meditation, uh, interested in your thoughts on CE5 and Stephen Greer, obviously having released, recently released a documentary. Well, CE5 in general to me is just to me personally, it's a simplification and rebranding of what a lot of people call channeling or mediumship. And I think that if people are interested in CE5, they should also do a little bit of research uh, into mediumship and channeling. Because if they have trepidation about it based on what it's named, they should, they should just take it a little easy. Um, as far as Dr. Greer goes, I acknowledge his incredible um, <clears throat> wealth of knowledge and his incredible catalog of, uh, of, of evidence that he's brought forth to people, the Disclosure Project, etc. Um, I'm not a fan of branding of any kind in regards to this. So I also, my feelings also stem, stemming from meditation are that people be careful when involving very strong emotions and expectations and things like that because we can mislead ourselves. I'm not. I'm not debunking anything. I'm not saying that that any any of these um, <clears throat> protocols that people uh, represent or that they may be selling, whether they have um, validity or not. Um, I'm just saying that I think people need to be their own advocates, and if they they just need to be careful. Be careful of 
personalities leading your spiritual journey rather than your own heart. So on the scale of the unidentified to ancient aliens, you would say that falls more towards the ancient aliens side of things. Well, I don't, I don't, you, you know I, I don't have, I don't have evidentiary efficacy for the claims that are being made. So I have to place it more into underneath a, a umbrella of entertainment until I see that. Now I know that there's people that will say, well, you haven't, the data is here, the data is there, and it may be, and, and my investigation hasn't led me to a point where I have, where I have really tried to put any kind of, um, any kind of weight behind CE5. Um, I've had my own personal experience with it, and frankly, that's what leads me to tell people to be careful. I know that people will say that that, um, there's a lot of people out there that like to immediately say, well, that's all you, there's no bad guys out there, there's nothing negative to this whatsoever, and I, I personally cannot believe that all agendas out there have my best interest at heart, because if there's more than one, that's impossible. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm not in the, I'm not in the game of following up agendas. Um, I like to make my own distinctions. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I intend to, to, Lou and I intend to work together in the future. Um, we have other projects that we're working on together, and he knows that the number one important thing to me is authenticity. Um, I don't want any BS in this. You know, I, I do like to speculate for fun, but. I'll be darned if I claim to know what what any of these things are. So um, that authenticity piece is real important to me. Awesome. So I'll get a few more uh, word associations, if you don't mind. Uh, Tom DeLong. Uh, genius. Fan of uh, his music I, as well. You know, it's, it's funny. Um, I like a lot of his music, but I had a roommate when I was in Guam for a few years who, who incessantly played Blink-182 when they first when they first came out. To a point that it was the only, uh, I think Heavy Petting Zoo was the only, um, I think that was the record, but it was the only one that he played. <laughs> and so it took me a long time to, come to to get back to it. But yeah, I do like Tom's music um, and Angels and Airways. It's funny. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He has some really good stuff. Uh, it's funny how these things come full circle. Eh? Um, what about Chris Mellon, Christopher Mellon? Uh, gravitas is the, is the word that I think uh, um, stands behind Chris Mellon. Um, <clears throat> for, for people who don't know who Chris Mellon is, uh, the positions he's held and, and his family, etc., the idea that he's taking, that he has taken such a serious interest in this, especially given um, the assumptions of what uh, Mr. Mellon's been briefed on, um, it blows me away. You know, if Chris and Lou together... Um, on TV is, is almost an unstoppable force. Uh, Chris Mellon is one of those people that I, I get a little, I get a little tongue tied when I'm, a, when uh, the subject of him comes up. Um, actually, to be honest with you, a lot of the team at TTSA gets me a little tongue tied and I'm not a fanboy. It's I've, I've looked into their pedigrees and these people made a lot of phone calls to each other before any of this stuff happened and before they they just they said let's risk our reputations to take this forward so um yeah i'm blown away i think earlier when we talked about the the weight behind the evidence that's chris mellon's name jumps out at, at what he's done and the levels like you say and those assumptive briefings you talked about the things this man's been privy to and must know and is incredible um bob lazar 
You know, um, as as I don't have a, I don't have any personal views on Bob, but I feel that Bob, um, Bob always has seemed to have a little bit of an aura around him that makes me nervous because of the way he was treated when he first appeared. Um, now given the, the time that, that's since when Bob first spoke up and we first learned of him years ago to now, we've also learned that to an extent that there, that there's been a certain acknowledgement of disinformation that occurred. Um, there's been a certain acknowledgement that, um, that these secrets were that certain secrets were being kept. So we know that those secrets existed now. So we have to take the things that were said about Bob Lazar with a grain of salt. And we also have to give um, credence to the fact that Bob's back and Bob's got a lot of the same names are standing right behind him. And, and if they're not right behind him and in the credits, they're, they're off to the side, giving the thumbs up and saying, yeah, do this thing. Um, so, so that says a lot. Now, whether, <clears throat> whether Bob has the whole truth and nothing but the truth, again, I, don't, I haven't seen anybody who's holding on to the whole truth yet. And I don't know it either. But my instincts tell me We've got a lot of people holding a lot of different pieces of it. Okay. Um, a phrase that has changed in definition a lot, even in, in recent weeks rather than recent decades, but extraterrestrial. Mm. I think that we need to loosen up on a lot of our definitions. Um, extraterrestrial, extra more, terrestrial earth. Um, I think, you know, in even the word alien, etc. whatever this is, I don't think it's your neighbor. I don't, yeah. I don't think he's going down to the top secret facility in the morning and zipping off in his spaceships and doing these things. So whatever whatever fits, extraterrestrial, ultra-terrestrial, alien, um, it doesn't bother me, but I think we need to be ready to pivot once we actually find one that we can agree is one. Hopefully uh, alive. <laughs> Again, uh, yeah. Uh, consciousness? Fundamental. Um, one thing, the only thing that all of us can know is that our consciousness exists. I'm, I'm taking it on. The, the only thing I take on faith is that you're real too, because I can't, I can't, I can't prove it. Um, so our consciousness and how we curate our own personal consciousness, what we allow into it, how we express it, um, and our interior state, I think, are the most important things in our lives. Period. Awesome. And two more, if you don't mind. So I'm going to say Mars, and I mean the planet, not the chocolate bar, but is there anything to that? I think it's definitely worthy of further study, but if we're talking about in regards to this phenomenon, there's, there's, there are anomalies that need to be looked at. And again, there are lines from those anomalies that we can see that can be drawn to some of the intelligence data gathered uh, casually by the same remote viewers that were being utilized by the government to do real life intelligence work that people's lives depended on. So it's an easy thing to throw water on. But this again, the same folks that were finding the downed aircraft were finding a previous human history piece to Mars. I can't say whether it was real or not. But again, we all have to consider that if, if you're able to find a jet that's that's crashed and then you're saying there's something really interesting on another body in the solar system perhaps it deserves a, a bit better look 
Absolutely. And I wanted to say earlier, remote viewing is a topic that fascinates me. And uh, again, I'd love to speak to you again more in future, but that, that's something I'd love to have someone on who's had experiences of remote viewing like that in, in one of the early episodes. And, and the last one, because for me, this is a really under-discussed topic and something I would I would love to see come to prominence and in, in, in times coming up. But the Phoenix Lights incident, famously from 1994, have you got any thoughts on that? You know, it's it's there. A lot of people have very um, very strong beliefs and emotions around the Phoenix Lights, so it's become one of the <clears throat> one of the incidents that, unfortunately, um, I haven't formed a, a very solid opinion on. I've talked to some people who I consider to be very uh, <clears throat> very worthy of providing an opinion for me in the interim, and they believe that it was something uh, unusual. That it wasn't military flares or, or simple aircraft in line or birds or anything like that, um, but I don't have that. I don't have the personal level of knowledge on the incident that I could say one way or the other. Okay, Sean, um, really appreciate your time uh, coming on the second ever episode of that UFO podcast. Um, again, if anyone wants to get in touch with Sean on Twitter, he is very accessible. Don't annoy his DMs. He's got enough of those to go through, it sounds like. It's at Minty Hyperspace. Um, he's got his own website, I believe, www.mintyhyperspace.com. There's a lot of really interesting articles, videos on there, really recent interviews too. Uh, Sean's an incredibly fascinating guy with a lot of interest, I'm sure you'll, you'll find on there. Any last words you want to say before you head off, Sean? I just want to thank you for having me on your podcast, Andy. I think that um, your intent to spread the word and to help people learn more about this and make their own decisions in an objective fashion is really admirable. And uh, it's been a great pleasure to be on your podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Sean. Trust me, the pleasure was all mine. Okay, thanks, Sean. Take care. That is all for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. Please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform. You can like, retweet and subscribe. That would all be very much appreciated. The shows are being uploaded onto YouTube as we speak more and more. You can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast to access the shows ad free as well. Please get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, that UFO podcast. Of course, on Twitter, it's at UFO, U-A-P-A-M. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see. It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer, a little baroque and quite steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of Fuck. The little fucker hovered right outside of my window, and when I shoved out the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see his ass, but I'd had some champagne and smoked a little bit. Meditative game of fate full on meta. I can't imagine how it could have been any better. I got to the top of the stairs and there he was. Like, you awake? I was about to abduct you, cuz. the window after the elf and I woke up in my bed and there was something on my head and everything was weird and everything was red I called up my boys they thought this was noise they thought it was a dream they thought it was my toys they thought it was my problems and they think I should scare me and I don't know what it is because it doesn't really scare me